The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem and the state capital since 1851. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition, we're traveling to Salem's favorite vacation spot, a coastal town that was almost named Surfland and once picked a fight with a fifth grade class from Montana. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. If you're a stressed out person living in the Willamette Valley, there are two words you should hear. Lincoln City. Just an hour's drive from the capital, this Oregon coast town offers seven and a half miles of sandy beach perfect for injecting calm ocean breeze into your frazzled brain. But the beach is far from the only attraction. Lincoln City is home to old growth forests, waterfalls, sea caves, and yes, even the world's shortest river. In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we'll highlight the best of this underrated town. We'll talk about a peak known as God's Thumb, visit one of Oregon's most terrifying bridges, and consider whether you really want to eat 72 purple varnished clams from Salette's Bay. All right, David, let's talk about Lincoln City. Obviously, it's not too difficult to find, throw it into Google Maps, or just follow the highways west of Salem until you hit the sand. Pretty tough to miss it. Yep, it's a little more than an hour's drive from Salem and about two hours from Portland. It's kind of considered the beginning of the Central Oregon coast. As always, we're going to talk about the best stuff to do there, including our general itinerary, how to get high, family-approved spots, and where to get the best food, both in the wild and in civilization. But as always, we're going to go ahead and start with the question, why go? Beyond the proximity, what makes the drive worthwhile if you're coming from Portland rather than Salem? All right, so I think that's a fair question because in Salem, we have kind of an irrational love for Lincoln City. And I can speak from personal experience because I've got two little girls. I love them dearly, but especially on the weekends, they can drive me crazy. And having Lincoln City is just a great asset. I can throw them in the car and drive to the beach and we're there. And all of a sudden we're running on the sand and having a great time and they're burning off energy that way. I swear Lincoln City's like motto should be, you know, stopping parents and children from killing each other since 1964. But there is a fair point about it not really being a destination city like Newport or, or Cannon Beach or something like that. It's kind of strung out down Highway 101. It's, it's got an interesting setup, so it doesn't have that sort of walkable downtown. So if you're coming from Portland, it's a little bit of a tougher sell. Like the city is just a little bit of a tougher sell. And to those people, I would say, check out what's on, just on the outskirts of Lincoln City because there is truly world-class beauty, but you just got to know where to go just, just outside the town proper. Yeah, so growing up, Lincoln City was kind of the default for my parents. So I too am well appreciative of it. You know, and again, I also believe it's kind of overlooked compared to Newport, Yahats, or even Pacific City. You know, a lot of those towns have experienced a lot of growth in the last 20 years mm -hmm. that maybe Lincoln City, you know, is still kind of playing catch up given how new they are. Yeah, yeah. It's such a 
weird thing about how Lincoln City came together because, you know, you think of most towns, especially on the Oregon coast, as being kind of the old classical towns. Astoria, you know, that was founded in 1811. So most of these towns have been around for a while. Lincoln City, that's not the case. It only came together in 1964. And it would happen when just five small towns decided, you know, hey, we're going to get together and form a larger town. So it was places like Taft, Ocean Lake, Dee Lake came together, one larger town. They faced some problems, though, along with like establishing a clear downtown. In the early days, they couldn't figure out what to name the new town. And so all the small little towns wanted to apply their name to the new larger town. But then they'd get in fights about it, and it became this big circular thing. So finally, they had a contest. Uh, everybody nominated a favorite and voted. And some of the names that Lincoln City almost went by are kind of hilarious. So here, here's some of the examples of what Lincoln City was almost called. Miracle Beach, Holiday Beach, Miracle City. And here's my favorite. This is the one that it almost went with, and that is Surfland. Yes, it was almost Surfland, Oregon, instead of Lincoln City, Oregon. How do you feel about that? I kind of like that name. What do you think? Honestly, it strikes me as having a completely different character than Lincoln City. And this underscores why you should never turn to the general populace to name something. Yeah. Because you end up with some real out there stuff. Thinking about sort of the character of the city, you know, it's a real classical Oregon coastal town. And Surfland just strikes me as some, you know, weird postcard billboard destination from the 50s or something. It just, it doesn't really resonate with what's there. Also, if it's called Surfland, you, you'd have to think that it would be good for surfing. That's not necessarily the case out there. And, and you're right. Like, if it was Surfland, Oregon, I feel like it would almost have to be a totally different place than it is now. It would almost have to be filled with, like, hippies and Californians and, and stuff like that. I don't think it could be the Lincoln City that we know and love. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk itineraries now. What's your typical plan when you head over to Lincoln City? So Lincoln City works as a day trip or as an overnight trip. I'm not married to either one. I tend to do it as a day trip uh, just because I live in West Salem. And here's the way I typically structure it. I do a hiker and adventure in the morning. So one of the things we talked about in the intro that's kind of world class. After that, uh, I usually go to a restaurant and then lay on the beach. And so that's a pretty good thing. You know, it's hike in the morning, then restaurant, then hang out at the beach, watch the sunset. That's a pretty good day. Yeah, and of course, it still works as a multi-day destination because, as we'll cover, there's quite a few world-class hiking destinations, not something you can hit up all in one day. For sure. And there's plenty of hotel, uh, motel options. Uh, There's also Devil's Lake State Park right there in town. So if you're maybe not super acclimated to camping, it's a great way to test it out. Mm -hmm. And if you forget something, you're like five minutes from a grocery store. Yeah, you're definitely not in the wild at Devil's Lake State Park, but it gives you that good uh, classic Oregon State Park experience. It's got the showers. It's got restrooms. Very clean, nice place. So that's a good place to start camping. But let's talk about the beaches a little bit, because even though we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about these amazing like hiking destinations, a decent amount of people who visit just want to get on the sands. They're like, just talk about the beaches. But In that seven and a half miles of sand, there's a whole bunch of access points that can really change the experience that you get. So let's start off with you. What's what's your favorite beach in Lincoln City? So my favorite is down on the south end uh, by Solette's Bay. 
Taft Beach. Mm -hmm. It's great because actually part of the beach is located inside the bay. So you're a little more sheltered than being right out on the coastline. Because if there's anything, the Oregon coast is known for some seriously ferocious winds. Everyone's walking around with like what they call coast hair, you know, sort of windswept. So you're a little bit protected there in Taft. Yeah, it's crazy. We've gone to Taft and it has been 10 to 15 degrees warmer than another beach just like a mile up the way because that's how big of an impact those coastal winds have. And it's a great fallback. You know, if you go to D River or Road Zen like we're going to talk about and, you know, you're just getting blown off the beach, just go down to Taft and it's it's fantastic. You can make your sandcastles in peace. On a normal day, my favorite beach is actually Road's End. And it's for a really simple reason. It's because it's the quickest one to reach from uh, Highway 101 coming from Salem. Lincoln City, as we discussed, is is very long and, and narrow. And if you go on the north end to Road's End, you can actually save 30 minutes. And when you're traveling with two little kids, that makes a big difference. So Road's End is my favorite just because you can get there so quick. But also it's it's very scenic. The headland is, is right there. And it's also a jumping off point for a couple of the hikes that we're going to talk about. We'd also be remiss if we didn't mention D River Wayside State Park. It's sort of right there in the center of town. It's kind of surrounded by some of those restaurants and hotels. It's really almost kind of the Times Square of Lincoln City. It's great for people watching. It's also the location of both kite festivals. Yeah, the kite festivals are in June and October, and they're really cool. They're legit. Um, They bring out some gigantic kites out onto the beach, and so you'll look up in the sky, and it's basically the sun is, like, blocked out by a giant octopus or, or a fish or something like that. My kids love it. And I would say, you know, you're right. It's Lincoln City is kind of trying to turn the D River area into becoming sort of that downtown. Just give them a couple of years. They'll get there. So let's go ahead and jump into some of those great places just around the edge that we had talked about. Let's start with the best place to get high around Lincoln City. What do you got? All right. So for the record, we're not talking about Oregon's recreational weed here, although I'm sure there's plenty of pot shops in Lincoln City, you know, if that's your thing. This category is about finding high places. And even though there's a number that qualify around Lincoln City, I'm going to go with kind of a wild card and pick Drift Creek Falls Trail. So it's a great place to get high because it leads to this kind of terrifying 240-foot suspension bridge that takes you way over the top of this deep, terrifying gorge. It's a narrow bridge, and it can kind of sway and jiggle in the wind. It's a little bit like walking on a tightrope. Not great if you're scared of heights, but for everybody else, this is a cool hike. So to reach the trail, it's about a 40-minute drive from Lincoln City to the trailhead. You have to kind of follow some winding roads in the forest just east of town. It's also fairly popular, so if you're going on a summer weekend, get there early. So Drift Creek Falls Trail is a pretty normal coast range hike for the most part. Basically, you're just dropping downhill through this lush, mossy forest. It's wide and well-maintained, so both of my girls, who are just one and three years old, they both really like it, and it's doable for them. The highlight comes after a mile and a half when you suddenly reach this narrow bridge and it takes you out across the treetops above this gorge and Drift Creek Falls. So the waterfall is actually roaring right below your feet. It's it's funny because most kids love it. My my daughter sprints right across. She can't get enough. But their parents and the adults kind of tend to hang onto the edges for dear life like it's going to fall apart on them any second. Yeah, the bridge is pretty famous. When it was finished, it was actually the longest suspension bridge on a trail in the Pacific Northwest. But the origin of the bridge holds a sad history. 
Yeah, as soon as you walk onto the bridge, there's a little plaque that says, In Memory of Scott Paul. And the backstory here is that Scott Paul was this really inventive guy. I got to know him. I, I wrote a story about the history of this bridge, and he was the brain power behind it. He's the guy that came up with the concept of building this really long suspension bridge over this gorge in the middle of kind of nowhere. It's a remote area. A lot of people said it couldn't be done, but you know he really worked for this idea and put all of his energy into it and was successful. In 1993, they were building the bridge. He got permission to do it. He had the plans. And he's moving an excavator uh, across the gorge. And unfortunately, he gets, he gets tangled up and pulled down into the gorge and actually dies on impact. And very sad story. You know, the project was put on ice for a couple of years until finally a friend of his picked up the project and kind of in his honor decided to, to finish it off. It was finally completed in 97, right around 20 years ago. And if it helps ease your terror at all, it can support the weight of two log trucks. So it's pretty sturdy and a fitting memorial to Scott Paul. Let's now move on to the most unique place to visit in Lincoln City. What's something you can find here that you can't find anywhere else on the coast? Okay, so I've got uh, friends, you know, all over the United States. And one of my favorite things to do is every time they come and visit me in Oregon, I try to show off all the coolest things that the state has to offer. I really take a lot of joy in trying to, like, blow people's mind with the, the cool stuff that Oregon has because there's so much. And so a couple of years ago, um, my friends from Colorado came out here, and they wanted to see the ocean. I mean, they live in Colorado, so they don't have the ocean. I like to lure that over them. And the place I decided to take them is Devil's Punch Bowl. And so the really cool thing here is that you're not just walking out on the beach, but you can actually hike inside of this collapsed sea cave. There really aren't very many other places on the coast you can do that. Yeah, so Devil's Punch Bowl is about 17 miles south of Lincoln City. There are a bunch of signs for it as you travel down Highway 101. There's a parking lot where you can actually walk out and look down in from overhead, but there's a much more interesting way to experience this area. Yeah, so there's the, the parking lot that most people know of, and a lot of people just, you know, look at it and then walk away. But when you do that, you're missing the coolest part. And so at low tide, and you got to check the tide tables to make sure, but you can hike around to the north side of it. And there's a little beach down there, and then you can turn left and you just climb over some, you know, rivulets, some tide pools and stuff like that. And you, you can actually climb inside the punch bowl. I've talked with the state parks agency. It's fine for you to do this as long as it's low tide. And when you get inside, it's really something. I mean, it's this big sandstone bowl filled with this wide assortment of colors, so blues, greens, reds, and oranges. These collapsed sea caves are typically only places you can get into in a kayak by sea kayaking. Uh, but this one you can get into by foot. You can get in there pretty quick, and it's an amazing experience. Yeah, the entire trip doesn't take too long, but you'll probably want to get there a little bit early and walk out with the tide so you have more time to check it out. Yeah, for sure. And the beach itself is pretty nice, and there's also a seasonal Moe's restaurant right there open during the height of summer. All right, so speaking of Moe's restaurants, let's move to our next two categories. That's food from the wild and food from civilization. Let's do food from the wild first, David. What you got? All right, so the obvious option on the coast is fishing in some of the coastal streams, but we're going to take it a little bit easier. We're going to go ahead and talk about digging for purple varnished clams in Salette's Bay. Mm -hmm. Some folks say they taste as good as razor clams. I'm not too sure about that. But in Oregon, the limit is 72 per day. 
That's way more than anyone needs. To harvest them, all you need is an annual shellfish license, a bucket, and shovel. Okay, so I got a, I got a story about clamming in Salette's Bay. So I'd never been clamming before. You know, I love fishing, but clamming just was never one of those things I got around to doing. It's You really need a person who knows what they're doing to get into clamming. And so former Statesman Journal outdoors writer Henry Miller said he would do it. And so I loaded up my wife, uh, two nephews who were really excited, and we drove out, but we had a little miscommunication. And so we arrived at Salette's Bay, and we look out, and it's just this, you know, mud flat basically, where there's normally water. And we're like, all right, what do we do now? And so he still wasn't there. And so we walked down and, you know, we're walking around out there and we're like, how do we go clamming? I I don't know what to do. But we had had a shovel. And so I just kind of started shoveling around in the muck and I found a clam. Like, it's that easy. And once, you know, then it was off to the races. You know, my nephews started digging down in there and they were just thrilled because it's like a treasure hunt. Like you're digging down into the muck, finding treasure. I mean, if you're a kid, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. So all you need to do is look for the little air holes that they've created in the sand, dig just to the side of that. They're usually not more than maybe three to six inches down. And a lot, a lot of places in Salette's Bay, there's not too many rocks, mm-hmm. so digging is fairly easy. So you just dig down beside them, then just a little bit cut over towards the hole, and then you can usually pluck them right out. Yeah, I, the only thing to be wary about is not to get too many. Like, we got so excited about finding them that you have a tendency to, like, harvest way more than you actually need. So if I could give anybody advice, it would be, first, get a recipe. So, and know what's involved with cooking them. And then kind of decide how many you're actually going to get. Because if you end up with 72 clams, there's a good chance you don't want to clean and cook 72 purple varnish clams. Yeah, so harvesting is just the first step. You then have to transport them and clean them and then cook them. So plan ahead, have an ice chest waiting in your car with some ice so you can toss them in there. All right, now let's go ahead and talk about food from civilization. There's a little bit of controversy here. Yeah, so we're going to talk about a couple of our favorite restaurants in Lincoln City at the end of this, but I wanted to spend some time hitting on a controversial subject, which is Moe's Restaurant. Now, Moe's is a pretty beloved spot in Lincoln City and really up and down the coast, but I've come across a lot of people who are weirdly anti-Moe's. So my question is, is this actually a good restaurant? Where do you stand, David Davis, on this controversial subject? Okay, so in my mind, Moe's is the traditional choice. They're trading on a lot of really great feelings from years gone by, and that's fine. They're a great family restaurant. The chowder is New England style, cream-based. I've heard the criticism that they use possibly too many potatoes. Mm -hmm. You're almost getting potato soup with maybe a few clams thrown in there occasionally. Hot take. Yeah. So I only get over to the coast, you know, a few times a year, and especially just to Lincoln City, maybe a couple times a year. So there's always a new restaurant to try. Mm -hmm. So my thing is just don't make Moe's the default always. Take a look around. There might be some other places to check out. All right. So my my point is I like Moe's. Like, we go there pretty often. It's almost like, you know, it is a little bit of our default choice. And the reason isn't necessarily the food, although the food is perfectly fine. I'd call it a a solid seven. You know, I like the fish tacos. My wife likes the blackened halibut. Nothing wrong with food. However, the reason we go there is for the experience. So in the intro here, I talked about, you know, doing a hike in the morning and then food and then going out on the beach. Well, Moe's kind of solves that those last two problems and turns it into one place. 
So we go to Moe's, get the kids filled up, and then instead of having to throw them back in the car and go somewhere else, we can just walk right out onto Taft Beach right there. And that's a pretty great thing. I mean, to just have fill up the kids, go out to the beach, I mean, you're there. And then, you know, the kids are tired and they're ready to go home after that. So I was over there recently and I actually went to a place called Dory's Cove. It's a name that probably a lot of longtime Oregon residents will remember. It recently changed hands after it burned down a few years ago. Uh It's back open in a different location. Great seafood selection. What about some other options? Uh, So I like Vivian's Restaurant. So that's just along the D River. It's a good place for breakfast and lunch. Uh, And this is going to sound like a weird one, but the Chinook Seafood Grill, which is actually within Chinook Winds Casino, I know what you're thinking, like, I'm not going to go to the coast to go into a casino, but look, I mean, the food is good there, so, you know, game recognizes game, I guess. I got to say, the most traditional choice is probably just grabbing something at any number of the takeout restaurants and taking it out to the beach and just eating out there. Or, who knows, just bringing a sandwich to the beach and making the food yourself. You don't necessarily have to go to restaurants, but, you know, why not? All right. After that lively discussion of food options, we're going to go ahead and take a short break here. When we come back, we'll talk about the two most scenic spots in Lincoln City, plus highlight the city's fight with a fifth grade class. Did you know that the Statesman Journal's outdoor section has an app? It's true. It's called the Explore Oregon app and it features detailed information on more than 200 places around the state. It's designed for your iPhone or Android devices, and what's cool about it is that you can turn it on and find information about all the places closest to you. So say you're traveling in Bend. Turn on the app and immediately you'll find information about great hikes closest to you. Learn more at exploreoregonapp.com or download it from the App Store of your choice today. Okay, welcome back. In the second part of the podcast, we're going to focus on the two most beautiful spots in Lincoln City. But first, we're going to go ahead and talk about the showdown between Lincoln City and, yes, a fifth grade class from Montana. (laughs) So this is a ridiculous story, and it's kind of hard to believe that it's true. And I told my buddy who works at uh, Lincoln City's tourism department that we might talk about this. And I could really hear him through the phone just roll his eyes and be like, why would you make us relive this? Like, why would you do that? But got to do it because it's just a fun story. And so when you head into Lincoln City, so here's the story. You head into Lincoln City and you come to the D River right in the middle of town. It's a very short river. And the city says in a little sign that it is the world's shortest river. And that's where our story begins, because there is grave dispute about that claim. For a long time, all was well. The Guinness Book of World Records listed the Dee River as the world's shortest river at just 440 feet. But the trouble started in 1987 when Guinness revoked the title and awarded it to the Roe River in Montana. Here's what happened. A fifth grade class in Great Falls noticed they had an unnamed stream right in their backyard. They measured it as being just 201 feet long. So, being precocious little grade schoolers, they petitioned the government to officially name the stream the Roe River. They then submitted it to Guinness, and it worked. In the 1987 edition, Dee River was out, and Roe was the new champion. That's when things got a little ugly. Yeah, so before I go into what happens next, let's take a minute to talk about this is an important tourism thing. I mean, Lincoln City, 
this is they can put this on postcards and say home to the world's shortest river. So they view it as, you know, a way to bring people in. You know, they come in, they want to see the world's shortest river. And, you know, while they're there, we'll stop and hang out at your beach. We'll buy lunch at one of your businesses. You know, it's a real thing. I feel like a lot of coastal towns like to have that kind of quirky fact. And if you have a world's only right in your own backyard, you're going to shout that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So keep that in mind when you you hear what happens next. So Lincoln City loses this title. And instead of just taking the high road saying, hey, congrats, fifth graders, they (laughs) took the opposite approach. The the city's chamber of commerce, they, they fired a shot at the fifth grade class saying, the Roe River was little more than a drainage ditch surveyed for a school project. Basically, they said the river was not legit. And so they tried to win the title back. And so they remeasured the D River at high tide. Now remember, the river drains into the ocean. So at super high tide, the ocean kind of swallows up more of the river. And so when they remeasured it like that, they got 120 feet. And Lincoln City claims victory once again. The fifth grade classes teacher, Mrs. Nardinger, is not amused. First of all, she's like, why aren't you behaving like real adults? And second, she points out that the D River is little more than an ocean water backup and also not fit to be called a real river. At this point, the people at Guinness kind of threw up their hands and walked away, basically saying, if you guys can't get along, then nobody gets the record. Yeah, when I was looking at the newspaper archives, there's a quote in there from the Lincoln City Chamber of Commerce manager. He said, the only thing worse than being in a battle with fifth graders is losing to a bunch of fifth graders. Yeah, actually, to get an update on this, because I I was curious, I talked to the people at Guinness Book of World Records. Yes, it still exists. And they said, basically, nobody holds the current title. And if somebody wants to claim it, you know, they're open to it. But it has to come from an official third-party organization or renowned expert. Meaning, they don't want to listen to people arguing with fifth graders about what constitutes a real river. And I guess my question, my final question here for you is, should Lincoln City try to win it back? Like, is there value there? I think almost they just sort of pretended it never left. It's just the shortest river in their hearts, and that's how it's going to be. I think that's probably the way to go through. The sign's still there. So for all anybody knows driving through town, it is still the world's shortest river. According to Lincoln City. According to Lincoln City. All right, let's get back to the good stuff now. Up next, we've got our most Instagram famous or infamous spot in Lincoln City. Yeah, so the social media site Instagram is both beloved and kind of loathed in outdoor circles. It's a great way to share images on one hand, but it tends to lure a ton of people to one particular spot. And in Lincoln City, no place captures that dynamic better than a place called God's Thumb. So I'm going to start off with the good stuff here, kind of talk about why this is a cool spot, and then we'll, we'll touch on some of the issues with it. So basically, it's a basalt plug that rises above the Pacific Ocean, and it kind of looks like a giant thumbs up from a distance. But it follows this really cool route of, you know, beach and an old trail, and it takes you to this just stunning panoramic view right at the top of town. So you climb up the thumb to the top, and there's just, you know, steep cliffs dropping away on all sides. You know, you look to the north, there's Cascade Head. You look out in the ocean, and you can see for miles, probably 30 or 40 miles out to sea. And then you turn around, and you can see Lincoln City just spreading out, you know, all the way down the coast. It's really a beautiful spot. There's a meadow that rises right above the ocean there. As far as a single spot goes, like one individual picture, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah, this has been one of those long whispered about destinations for quite a while. 
but with it not being an official trail, there's been some issues with access. Yeah, so the backstory here is that God's Thumb has been surrounded by private land for a long time. So I talked to a couple of people who used to want, used to try to go up to it, and they would say you'd come across like uh, do not enter, no trespassing signs. But, you know, in recent years, social media kind of blew it up. Like all of a sudden, everybody knows about it. The problem is there's no official trail. So there's no God's Thumb trailhead, which means people are using their imaginations about how to get to the top, and that always leads to problems especially in this area where there's, you know, neighborhoods, there's people's houses there. So it would end up with like people, you know, parking in neighborhoods, like blocking people's driveways and stuff like that, leaving trash, kind of causing a lot of problems. Eventually, the city and the Forest Service have kind of tried to do some things to mitigate the problems. The first one is that they asked people to park at Roads End Beach. So that's a, a state park, you know, area with a big parking lot. And so from that point, you follow this route. And it's too complicated to talk about it all here, but we have it at statesmanjournal.com slash thumb. And then, and that brings you, that takes you on the route up to the top. But the rule of God's thumb here is that, you know, don't be a jerk. Like, you know, don't park in people's driveways. Like, don't leave trash. Like, just follow the route carefully. Do your homework ahead of time. Park in the right spots and everyone can enjoy this beautiful spot instead of it being this kind of controversial argued about place. Yeah, if you do your homework, it's definitely worthwhile, and I appreciated that thumb pun. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our last category, the best of the best. What is your top pick for something to do in Lincoln City? So despite all the good stuff we've talked about, you know, this awesome bridge, you know, God's thumb, the world's shortest river, my top pick for Lincoln City, not really a tough choice. I had to go with Cascade Head, just north of town. The thing that I love about it so much is that it's a real step back in time. So it's this big headland that was never developed. And that means there's huge old growth Sitka spruce forests, these pristine meadows and rare plants and animals. It's such a cool place that it's actually recognized by the United Nations as a UNESCO biosphere reserve. It's also definitely been categorized as one of the best places to hike on the Oregon coast. What are some of the, uh, some of the trails at Cascade Head? So I'd have to start with what's my favorite hike at Cascade Head and one of my favorite hikes overall in Oregon, and it's called Hart's Cove Trail. So you start at a little gravel road just on the north side of town, and from there it's about five and a half miles that are fairly challenging, but boy is it worth it just from the beginning to the end. The hike is mostly through old growth forest, but at the end you reach this wide open grassy meadow that just seems to hang above the ocean, and that's pretty good by itself. But if you scramble down a little ways, there's a view of the actual Hart's Cove. And that's the money shot. There's a waterfall dropping off these rugged cliffs into a cove that often has an emerald color. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool spot. Yeah, the only downside is that it's only open for half the year. It opens on July 16th and then closes at the end of December. And that's to protect the endangered silver spot butterfly. But there are some trails at Cascade Head that are open year round. Tell us about those. Yeah, the best known hike is probably uh, Cascade Head Trail. It's actually managed by the Nature Conservancy, and it begins around Knight Park, so at the base of Cascade Head along the Salmon River. And it takes you on a fairly steep trail uh, that takes you up to two beautiful meadow viewpoints, great ocean views. It's always worth doing uh, because it's open year-round. All right, that just about wraps us up. Where are a few places maybe you wanted to mention but we didn't quite get to? 
Yeah, one thing to add, especially if you're staying overnight in Lincoln City, is that uh, there's kayak tours of Silette's Bay. So the same place that we talked about earlier as a clamming destination, when it's filled with water, it's a cool place to kayak. Um, those are offered free of charge from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but got to call for a reservation because the tours fill up pretty quick. Finally, I wanted to point out the Finders Keepers promotion. This is where Lincoln City folks actually hide glass artwork on the beach. They hide 3,000 glass floats during the off-season each year. Probably could have featured this, but I've found it's a real challenge to actually find the floats. So if you do this, don't be too surprised if you come home empty-handed, which has happened to me something like 20 times. Well, that's it for this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe and tell your friends. You can also download our free app at exploreoregonapp.com to plan your next outdoor adventure. Thanks for listening.